Welcome to episode three of the Bee Church Podcast, where we interview the best quality guests that would return our emails. To find out more about the Bee Church Network and what we do, stick around until the end of the podcast. My name is Alex Marriott, and I'm the executive director of the Bee Church Network. This episode is the second in a three-part series where Sarah and I talk with Pastor Mark Hughes of Church of the Rock in Winnipeg. If you haven't heard the first episode, I suggest you go back and listen to that one first. I have a question for you, um, because you guys are very innovative in a lot of ways, including your online content. I, I seem to remember... Were you in a Batman costume or a Superman? And you guys... I always play Superman. Oh, I'm sorry. You were Superman, but you guys crucified Batman. Is that correct? Yes. He has no superpowers, so there's nothing he can do about it. Okay. Well, my my question for you in a moment like that is where do you guys... Like, how do you filter yourself? Where is the place where you say innovation is awesome and this is great and it's going to get the gospel across? And where is the line of like maybe we've gone too far. What what does it look like for you guys to decide that? Well, you know, I like the way you framed the question because this is what happens with people when they criticize our critics. And we obviously, if you're doing an Easter service on Easter morning with Batman as your Jesus character, you're opening yourself to some criticism. And I think that's a fair comment to make. But here's what here's the the people that criticize us are people that actually haven't seen what we did with it. And because as you said it, like you just expressed it right now, it sounds ridiculous. It's it sounds inappropriate, it sounds sacrilegious. Uh, I wouldn't disagree with that. It sounds irreverent. And so when you say it in those terms, uh, that's our critics jump on that and they go, you know, you've you, you know, look what you've done, you've watered down, you've cheapened the gospel. And I always say, why don't you come and see what we're doing with it before you criticize us, or at least go watch it online. And uh, most of the time when they watch it online, they go, okay, they, they don't, they know that Batman is not Jesus. They actually know that. Uh, and what they're doing is they're using Batman as an allegory. And we just remind people that all the time that what Jesus did was he told parables. Mm -hmm. He compared God to an unjust servant. Uh, You know, he compared the the word of God, the the infallible, timeless, immutable word of God to a seed of grain. And, you know, you start to look at these, these allegories and these metaphors that Jesus used, and some of them seem just downright inappropriate. Uh, you know, the the prodigal son's father was not the per, a perfect man, and he's supposed to be God in this story. And, you know, you go through these stories, and he often will use uh, people from history that were, 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 were not righteous characters, and they're supposed to illustrate God. So the way I look at it is if Jesus can get away with that, I can get away with that. And I'm not actually trying to reach Baptists and, you know, Pentecostals, I'm trying to reach people that will never set foot in the the church, and they're not going to watch an Easter service, and they're not going to listen to a preacher, but they love pop culture, and they love, you know, the whole superhero thing is so huge. I mean, look how many movies are related around superheroes. People eat that stuff up, 
And so if I can, if I can talk to them in their language, if I can find the redemptive metaphors from prop culture and use them to somehow uh, demonstrate the gospel, then I don't think I've crossed the line. Mm-hmm. You've and done a number of these Easter productions. What are your other themes that you've drawn on so far? Um, we've, uh, we've done, um, King Arthur and the Holy Grail, which was Monty Python, which was one of my favorites. We did Tombstone, which was, uh, uh, a Western, uh, version of it. We've done the Avengers. We've done back, back to the future, which we called back from the future. And Robin of the Hood was a mashup between the story of Robin Hood, uh, West Side Story and, uh, the adventures of Ace Ventura. And uh, we set the entire thing to the music of Michael Jackson. Every single song was Michael Jackson. And uh, I have to know which one is the Jesus figure in this. Uh, that one was uh, his name was. I don't know if you can see that poster. Uh, he's dressed in white, and uh, he was. Uh, let me see. There you go. Can you see him in dressed in white? Mm-hmm. Uh, on the right hand side. Yeah. And he was Robin of the Hood. And uh, then Ace Ventura is behind me. Ace Ventura was John the Baptist. And uh, there I was. I'm actually dressed like Michael Jackson from Thriller. And I'm Barabbas in that story. And you write all these, right? Fantastic. I I, I write all of these myself. Um, Oh, another one we did was Pirates of the Galilean, other, other than Pirates of the Caribbean. And in that one, we built a full-size pirate ship that was so big, we had to cut it into pieces to get it out of the building. (laughs) We donated it to a summer camp, actually, and they used it for their kids to crawl around on. And uh, we weren't expecting it to be that big, but these stories, you know, most of pop culture have some really amazing uh, biblical connection to the story because the whole idea of the battle between good and evil is the classical story of humanity are resonates with us uh the idea of someone being raised from the dead actually exists in almost a huge not every not every story but many many pop cultural stories include aspects of that. We did Star Wars, for example, and Star Wars has the death of Han Solo. So in that one, Han Solo was our, 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 our Messiah figure. Um, so we've just done lots of different things like that. I know, I know the two of you are fans of the Princess Bride. We also did the Princess Bride. How do you know that? I just can tell by looking at you. Oh, and, we, are, we are big fans. We are big fans. Best sword fight in history. I don't care what anyone says. History of cinema, best sword fight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I we called it the Princess Bride of Christ. But let's not forget that there's a huge resurrection story in that. Mm-hmm. Of Wesley. Wesley dies. Only he's only mostly dead. And there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. With mostly <laughs> dead is slightly alive. All dead, eh, you go through his clothes, look for loose change. <laughs> uh, so you you do integrate humor into your speaking, which probably why your, your TV show has been so successful this whole time, is uh, it, it gives a way to be able to really personalize and 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 you also are really sneaky with your humor. Often you'll 
you'll come in with a joke and people will be laughing. And then before they're done laughing, you'll hit them with something hard and difficult. And, and you kind of have that sinking feeling in your stomach while you're still laughing. And then people get into laugh nervously at the end. Um, has that always been your style or is that something you've, you've grown over time? Is that something natural to you or did you have to actually develop it? <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, that's very insightful of you to notice that it's entirely intentional. And, um, it's all, I've always been like that. You know, I, I am not passive aggressive. I'm not aggressive aggressive. I am sardonic in nature. And what I will do is I will use humor to get across my point. I've done it my whole life. And then I kind of discovered that if you can get people laughing and you know, this as a preacher, when you get someone laughing, they open up mm -hmm. and they open up like this, even physically, they open up, they roll back, their mouth opens, their hands open, and you have opened them up with humor. And then that's when you can poke them and you can communicate hard truths better with humor than almost any other way. It's and almost like the gospel was never supposed to be boring. <laughs> Maybe. I heard someone say this years ago, and it's always stuck with me, that one of the greatest sins of the church is boring people to death. Yeah, we have that phrase in Young Life, and, and it's we say it often. It is a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. Um, Jesus isn't boring. His, he didn't he didn't speak that way. He didn't live that way. It's not, and the, and the entire story of the Bible is not boring. It's incredible. So I love the way that you bring life to those stories and that you engage people in the places that they already understand. That's fantastic. Um, I, have, I have one more question for you. Uh, and that's at the very beginning, you said that the trick was longevity. You, you kind of laid all your chips on longevity. But the truth is, um, there's a lot of, even recently, men who've done really well at longevity and have done very terribly at integrity. And that has been found out late in the game or at the end of their life. And, uh, and you are a person who has a lot of publicity. Uh, you are out in the open all the time and you oversee a large network of things. You have a lot of um, authority. How do you manage longevity and authority and keep your integrity intact? Wow, what a great question. Um, you know, th that has been I, one of the things I have grieved to see more than anything else is that people that were kind of heroes of the faith to me in the end uh, crashed and burned. I mean, you know, when I saw what happened to Bill Hybels in the last six months of his ministry, now it didn't happen in the last six months. It was revealed in the last six months. And so it meant that it was there for a significant period of time. And then Ravi Zacharias dies and we, hear all of these stories about him. And uh, honestly, uh, Sarah, that would be the greatest pain for me to build everything, you know, to, to accomplish whatever it is God's called you to do, and then destroy the whole thing with your character. And I've, I've often said, this is going to sound really maybe silly, but I've, I've said a few times to my friends, I said, pastor friends, I've said, that have been at it a long time like me. Uh, it's just just shy of 40 years for me, uh, all in. 
And I said, maybe we should retire right now while we're still ahead of the game, you know, because you never want to get your, put yourself in that place to think that you too couldn't fall. You, we, we all could, the scriptures are very clear on that, that we're all frail and we're all human and that every one of us could, could fail. And to think that we are above that and see a lot of times, here's my opinion on it. I think these guys begin to believe their own press and believe they're untouchable and they get away with it like Samson did. Samson got away with it again and again and again. And I guess he kind of thought, I guess God's turning his blind eye to this and he's not worrying about it. And then it just leads them down this path where they go deeper and deeper in this thing. And then what they build with their gifting, they destroy overnight with their character. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just think people need to remember this very simple truth, whoever they are, whether they're big ministries or small ministries, I don't think it matters. And it's this, surely your sin will find you out. Mm -hmm. Or as someone said, well, I don't have to worry about that. My name's not Shirley. And, uh, but I still, I'm not joking about this. I mean, that's a joke, obviously, but I'm not joking about this. Uh, I would rather, I'd rather be out of the game than in the game and crash and burn. Mm -hmm. It's not worth it. Our character is, is far more important. Why is there, why is there nine gifts of the spirit and nine fruit of the spirit? Uh, and why do we spend so much time talking about the gifts and so little time talking about the fruit? And the, you know, the po whole point of that is the fruit and the, and the gifts need to work together. And if you were, if, nine times out of 10, if you see one of these people that is going down, they were people that exemplified the, the gifts without the, the fruit. Mm. So that's my two cents worth on it. It's a great, great concern of mine. So even though you look like you are, you're being frivolous sometimes with the costumes and the stage and, and you're having a great time innovating, uh, you're not, you're not taking yourself too seriously, but you're taking the gospel and your character really seriously. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't, I don't ever want people to misread that, that that is irreverence. It's not irreverence. Um, the fear of God is, is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And uh, I think that's the foundation. I think we should fear God way too much to uh, consider being in ministry with a lack of character. Now, that doesn't mean perfection, because none of us can be perfect, right? I got mistakes. I got failures. You got failures. You got, you know, we're all, we all struggle with our sin, sinful behavior. But for me to try to think that I can go through life uh, with a compromised character willfully, consistently, habitually, and that I will get away with that uh, is, a, is a huge deception. And uh, Jesus said, it's better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck uh, than to uh, make one of these little ones stumble. I think that kind of fear is a healthy thing that we should fear God way too much to ever take us, ourselves so seriously that we think that we are somehow invulnerable to those things. We are vulnerable and we can all fall at any, in any moment. And honestly, if I was to, if I was to, uh, knew that I was going to fall morally, I would beg God to take me out of the game first. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't want to do that. 
I think I, I wanted you to answer that question because I think sometimes um, people can mistake innovation and a desire to shake things up and a desire to do things in a new way um, and move away maybe sometimes from old traditions. Uh, people can take that as a lack of fear of God and a lack of seriousness about what we're doing. Um, and I know, Mark, you are very serious about what you're doing. And so all of the frivolity that it appears that you're having uh, is very intentional and deliberate. And so your innovation is comes with a hefty dose of understanding how big God is and how responsible you are for what he's given you. What do you guys think? There's lots of lots of really interesting things on this segment. What do you guys think? Well, I think he's crazy. <laughs> crucified batman yeah it's I amazing mean, wow uh I, I love i love though that he is willing to take those risks i mean i can't imagine he doesn't get some pushback i mean he he alluded to it a little bit but you know i mean he's boy you gotta you gotta learn how to just tune out the negative right so that you can do those innovative stuff but i really like that he's willing to take those risks i i would say in my ministry over the years, I've probably back in when we had the youth church in Salmon Arm, I think we took a lot of risks, but it wasn't really risks because these were all unchurched youth, you know, and, and mm -hmm. they they loved the wild and crazy. And so I don't think there was really much risk. If I had tried it at, you know, uh, in a traditional setting, maybe it would have been risky. But uh, yeah, I really appreciate uh, the risk that he's willing to take to get, you know, not it's and by the way, it's not purposeless. Like mm -hmm. it isn't just for shock value. It's actually to open up hearts so that they'll hear the message. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I really like that. They're a very purposeful, uh, you know, some of those events or some of those illustrated messages that he does. And the funny thing is, is that you, you only hear kind of a glimmer of what actually happened in, in those sort of circumstances yeah. in the crucifying Batman one. He actually, uh, when it's time to preach, um, he zip lines, down from the back in onto the stage and then pulls Batman off the cross in, but he's in full Superman costume and <laughs> preaches in the Superman costume. <laughs> wow. They, they made a Batmobile out of a golf cart and, and it's just, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, just, you think about the time that goes into that, uh, you know, and, and the stage prep and the, I mean, my goodness, it, it, you know, they got teams running all over the place there. But, you know, it's interesting because I've always said when people are on mission together, like, you, you know, whatever it is, like if you're doing something together, it builds team and family. And so maybe some of what we hear from him in terms of the connectedness relationally in the church is because if you're if you're doing a team where you're building a Batmobile out of a golf cart, and then you see it in action and see the success that comes from it, you know, in terms of people getting saved. I mean, you got to be faith filled. I mean, you got to be excited about that and feel like, man, all that work we did was worth every minute of it. You know, that's got, it's got to be good for the team. Yeah. I think, I think what I also appreciate is, you know, we, we did, we pushed back on Mark a little and asked him a couple of harder, more blunt questions, you know, like how far is too far? Where is the line? Yeah. You know, like, um, cause certainly there's a, there's a time and a place. There's definitely a place where you should not be crucifying Batman. Yeah. Sure. Right. Um, and what I really appreciated is that, uh, and I wonder if maybe, um, 
that's how he handles these conversations in other places of uh, not, not getting defensive, not shutting the question down, but really being willing to sell the vision one more time. We're trying to, we're trying to break down barriers for people. We're trying to, to get to people who wouldn't normally be willing to hear about the story of the cross. And, um, and I think it comes back to, you know, we said this in the last episode, um, really hanging on to that vision, making sure you don't lose the point of what you've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because anytime you get those, that negative feedback, or you need to assess, or you need to examine, you know, your compass is, are we accomplishing the goal that's been set before us? Are we doing the thing God asked us to do? Right. right? And I think Mark's really, really good at responding to criticism with that look, this, this is what we're trying to accomplish here. And this is why we do it. And and if you don't like that, then move along, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. you're, maybe you're not a fit here. Maybe it doesn't work for you. It's about, you know, culture alignment. Maybe this isn't the right culture for you, but I also really like the subtle nod to the battle over good and evil that, that, that whole imagery does. Right. Cause really Mm -hmm. the superhero, you know, even the comic books and the superheroes, really, that's what it is, right? It's evil against good. And, and, uh, and, and of course, the gospel embodies that, like Christ overcame evil. Mm-hmm. He overcame death that we would have eternal life. And so uh, it, it, it's, an, it's just an interesting, uh, subtle nod to that, but not so subtle in the presentation to Christians. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, um, it's kind of like, Wow, mind blowing for a Christian, but but I would imagine somebody that it doesn't know the Lord or hasn't heard the gospel sees that, man, they, they're going to get the message right away. They're going to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what superheroes do. They overcome evil. Well, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. And by the way, you can become a superhero with Jesus because he's made a way for you to do that. Yeah, I like how he taps into this idea of cultural stories that there's things um, in one direction because. They're just human stories. And in another, because Western society is actually built on top of Christianity. And so a lot of the narratives that we tell through our our entertainment storytelling systems are actually um, still reflections of Christianity that, that yeah. our culture is raised on. And so, um, of course, we're going to find all these redemptive messages inside of our entertainment. Yeah. I think I think the other thing is is that um, one of the accusations could be sometimes that um, people are producing fluff or they're just trying to be culturally relevant. And uh, what I appreciate about the way that uh, their church does things is that, um, and Mark said it, it's a hard truth in a soft wrapper. They're not mm-hmm. pulling punches, right. right? They're not they're not trying to water down the gospel in any way, shape, or form. They are they're really clear about what the story is, um, but they're making the story more like it really was. You know, it, the scriptures are an adventure story. They're a romance. They're they're full of intrigue and betrayal. And I mean, that if we really look at the scriptures in plain language, uh, we're talking about some of the best novels ever written, some of the best movies ever made, but somehow we've made it boring. And I think what he's doing is he's, He's shaking it up and going, I'm going I'm to tell you the real truth, but I'm going to do it in such a way that you recognize that this was always an adventure. Right. I love that. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think that uh, the commitment to excellence in it too is, is got to be noted, you know, like mm-hmm. excellence isn't perfection. Excellence is doing the best with what you have. And, and so I really like that, that, 
that excellence is practiced through 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 the storytelling <clears throat> and that and you know that great effort that it took was you know was not lost um you know alex you you, know, you were the first one that coined it so it might be somebody else that said it but you talked about the theology of of you know the party you know <laughs> the 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 church should be the greatest party on earth and uh i call it celebratology Yes, that's yeah. it. I couldn't remember. And uh, I, I just think that that's, you know, when, when, what he was talking about, you know, like, don't be boring, <laughs> you know, go that extra mile. But it's, it, you look at the efforts that went into it. And that's, I guess that's what astounds me is like, I don't know if I had, I would be able to do it. Well, I haven't done it. So I guess I wouldn't. Um, but, uh, you know, to be committed to the, to have as many people as they would have needed to have committed to that consistent storytelling that gets taken to taking place is very inspiring, but we can certainly do it on our own level and our own way. Mm -hmm. If we just start applying excellence to the things that we do, if we could see that, you know, the word glory means manifest excellence of God. And so if we could see that we could manifest God's excellence in everything we do, no matter how small the, the, the thing is or how big, I think we would we would see a lot of fruit come from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things about excellence that we forget is um, that we're supposed to bring God our, our best in worship. And so we're supposed to bring of our flock the best lamb, not just the average lamb, not not the one that's going to die anyway. Uh, you always bring your best. And uh, and it's one of those things I think we need to realize when we're doing church stuff, when we're when we're doing you know what we would call our worship service, our song service, uh, we should actually work hard at producing a good quality product, a good quality um, uh, of musicianship, a good quality of of song leading, so that we are actually bringing what we have. We're bringing our best to that scenario, and and in other things too, in in the way we do our outreach, in the way we do our our discipleship, the way we do our fellowship. Our um, when Jesus turned water to wine, he made the, he made the best wine. Our best may not be Hillsong's best. Our best may not be, you know, uh, Warner Brothers' best, but we we can certainly still do our best with what mm -hmm. we have. That's that's true excellence. And if it's a, and even more important, as you pointed out, Alex, if it's an act of worship, I mean, how pleasing is that? That's a pleasing aroma to the Lord when you bring the best, you know, and your best effort to something. And I think that if I can just be, I mean, I, I'm hoping people will find this podcast very raw and very real. If I can just say the church, the, the church is really screwed up in this area. We've, we've, we've not done that. We've, we've tolerated, um, you know, uh, we've kind of tolerated complacency. We've tolerated in a big way. We've tolerated, um, uh, I'm trying to grasp the right word for it, but, we, uh, you know, lack of effort. Apathy. You know, we, Are you looking for apathy? Ap ap apathy. Apathy is one word, but that's not the word I was trying to think of. Um, isn't that funny? It just jumped out of my head, but that's okay. But it's the same idea. You know, we've tolerated apathy. We've tolerated, you know, just drag yourself into, you know, hey, we're just glad you showed up. We're so desperate for people. You know, thanks. You know, we're glad. Don't don't worry about putting too much effort into this because we don't want to burn you out. You know, if if you're doing something because the Lord has prompted it in your heart and you're doing it with excellence mm -hmm. because you want to worship him with your best I, I actually have often said, I don't really actually want volunteers. I'd rather have disciples. Mm -hmm. And if I only have a few Absolutely. disciples, 
then we will do our excellent with the few disciples we have rather than trying to recruit a bunch of volunteers that feel like they're owed something because they're volunteering. And I know I'm being very raw and real here. A lot of times we hear from the other side, you know, we hear that, you know, leaders are abusive or leaders are, are this or they're that. And I just want to say as a, from a leader's perspective, sometimes I felt like I'm being uh, mean just simply because I'm asking somebody to do what they said they would do. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to feel that way. I want to, I, w- I don't want them to do something because Mark wants them to do it. I want them to do something because Jesus asked them to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't know how that was a bit of a rabbit trail, but it's kind of in the <laughs> same, uh, same vein of excellence. Right? I, I think it's still on target because it's one of those things where when you're actually bringing your best and doing something that is on target, like we talked about last week about about actually doing something that's aligned with the mission that you're, you're for. Um, when those things happen, you, sure. Those are, it gets, becomes tiring, but you don't get burned out the same way that you do week after week, bringing the good enough. And when you've yeah. done good enough over and over and over again, there a burnout comes because there's that, that boredom sets in and the, and the, and the pattern is, is just repeated over and over uh-huh. again. But when you actually are, when you're bringing your best, when you're actually in there and you're growing and you're, and you're producing something that's producing fruit, it's amazing how rewarding that is at the same time, even if it's tiring and and that reward. Yeah. The burnout happens when you have the cost without the benefit. And so we need to make sure that when we're doing this stuff, that we're doing it at the, at the best we can so that there's the maximum amount of benefit that we get out of it too. And if we're not, we better ask ourselves why we're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that, that's, you know, and that to me comes back to um, good leadership, because at the end of the day, one of the other things we've done is, and you, you touched on it, Mark, is we just shove people into roles because we think they need to be done. And I think what's great about what Mark's been talking about is, um, is we need to innovate now. It's time. It's time not to do things the same old way. And what does it look like to allow um, people to come with their gifts and their anointings and say, how do I build something around how you're mm. designed? How do I equip you and support you and empower you to reach the people group you feel called to? Or um, mm. how do I how do I take this little community of people that already hang out and say, what, you know, what do you guys want to do together? What do you want to build together for the kingdom? And it maybe it doesn't have to look like the way it's always looked. Because I know uh, that I get burnt out, not necessarily because I'm not trying hard enough or I'm not doing my best at something, but I get burnt out when I'm doing something I'm not built for, when I'm not, oh I'm not made for it. I don't, I don't feel calling to it. I feel like I'm filling a role. And I think um, I think it's time for us to be innovative, to make space for people who maybe have never felt like any of their giftings lend to a Sunday morning experience. Maybe their giftings are completely different than that. And how do we look at those things differently um, and let people run with those creative things? And and maybe they will be as crazy as Batman being crucified. <laughs> And maybe yep. they will make us uncomfortable, but, but what if we see, you know, if they align with the vision, what if we yeah. see what could happen if we let people be creative? I mean, what if we got, we're already, Hey, we're already on the, the what if. Oh, we're already, what, what if? <laughs> we're already <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's too, it's premature. Sorry, sorry, Alex, we jump <laughs> don't, don't, don't jump the what if. if. But, but seriously, what, what if, what if we actually, you know, if we were courageous enough as followers of Christ, to 
say no to the mediocre so that we had time to say yes to the passionate. Mm-hmm. You know, like what what if we just said, listen, that, that's not a fit for me. That, that doesn't give me life. I, you know, like Sarah said, right? Like there, that doesn't give me life. In fact, I, I got so serious about this a few years ago. I color block my calendar now and I color blocked it with my top three giftings, which give me life. And then I have two more colors that are things that kind of that have to be done, but, you know, but I don't mind doing them. And I look at my calendar now, and if I have too much of one color, or and I have a miscellaneous, and so if I have too many miscellaneous, then I know my week's out of balance and I'm not going to be operating at my best. Mm-hmm. And I was really challenged with this. And even recently, you guys know I've transitioned a little bit and I'm moving into some new areas here. And and it's gonna, you know, it's affected the bridge a little bit. And you know that I've done that, but the reason. One of the reasons is because I felt like I was actually not doing my best. I feel like I, w- I was worn out from just kind of going through the routine of of doing things. And I've lost a bit of my innovation edge. I lost for sure my evangelistic edge. And I felt like God was restoring that to me. Mm-hmm. I've, I've all of a sudden felt like, wow, you know, I, I have a heart for the lost again. I have a heart for the evangelist. And and I felt like I needed to make a change in order to, that I could be my best. So I'm offering my best worship to the Lord, where the and that is where he has placed the most passion in my heart. And I and I think there's something to that with what Mark Hughes was saying there and what they've tapped into. They've tapped into this ability to call out the the gifts and people that give them life that they're really good at that they can offer their best worship with to the Lord. And I think that that is a really good lesson that we could learn. Mm -hmm. Now, just in case, because this happens all the time when preachers preach, the (laughs) pendulum swings too far one way. Let's not romanticize this and say, live your best life, follow your heart, because that is not what we're saying. We believe here in the B Church. We believe in longevity. We believe Mm -hmm. in... Uh, sometimes there is suffering. We believe that that you've got to be committed and and have fidelity to a cause and to a purpose. So we're not saying, oh, if something's uncomfortable and you start feeling like it's no fun anymore, jump ship. What we are saying is we have a creative God. And so if we're if we are getting to that place of drudgery, you know, it's it is time to kind of try and take a minute, put our heads above the water, look around and go, is there another way for us to do this? Is there a new, fresh opportunity? You know, and when new people coming in, we need to just not squash their enthusiasm and excitement when they're like, Hey, I feel really passionate about this. And then you get in there and someone's like, yeah, but we really need a Sunday school teacher right now. So could you do that instead? You know, maybe, maybe we just need to, we need to let people go a little bit more. Just let Maybe run. we need to shift our view of our roles as leaders and start thinking a little more of, uh, you know, in the fil- uh, facilitation mindset that we're here to, you know, I've often said to people, you're not coming to us to serve my vision. The leadership of this church are here to serve the vision of Christ in you. And so our role is to facilitate that vision that God's given you. And, and that means we inspire, but we can't do it for you. I often use the example uh, very quickly of my son when he was growing up. He loved hockey. He wanted to be a goalie in the NHL. 
And I often tell people, I use it as an illustration, that I could buy them the best equipment. I could give them some tips and pointers. I could cheer them on. I was his biggest cheerleader. But the one thing I couldn't do is go play the game for him. I couldn't actually get on the ice and stand in the net. Uh, would have got killed. Um, but I, I, I had to. But I could facilitate him being able to. You know, I got him in registered for hockey, and I, you know, but he had to play the game. He had to practice. He had to do his best, right? And that I think is a picture of what real servant leadership looks like. I think we need to serve the vision of Christ and other people. And I think far too often as the church, we tend to want people to come and serve the vision that the church has. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've got one more takeaway here from the interview. Um, Mark at the very end talked about how uh, we often talk about the gifts of the spirit, but we rarely talk about the fruit of the spirit. And how do we actually now, uh, especially when we're talking about leaders and leadership and about development, how do we raise people up both in the, in the gifts of the spirit and with the fruit of the spirit, because often we find people with great theology, people with um, uh, impeccable uh, skills at, at preaching or, or they're really good at drawing a crowd, uh, but they end up in the end being jerks. And so how do we how do we actually uh, uh, raise people up and, and encourage people to actually be Christ like to be like Jesus, who uh, was the last thing from a jerk? Well, from my perspective, in the first right off the bat is we got to put a higher value on the fruit of the spirit than we do we tend to put more value on the gifts of the spirit. Um, The other thing that comes to mind is I have often said, you know, somebody needs heart surgery. um, You know, you give them anesthetic before you start cutting. And I've often said the fruit of the spirit is the anesthetic and the uh, gifts of the spirit is the scalpel. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody, you know, when somebody needs a heart surgery, you're not, you know, don't leave the fruits of the spirit at home uh, and just start in on the gifts of the spirit and start cutting uh, because that's how people get hurt. And that's how mm-hmm. many people have been damaged in the church. That's why there's a lot of people who've walked away because they're hurt by that. And so I think we need to put a higher value on the fruit of the spirit and out the the gifts of the spirit are an outflow of the fruit of the spirit rather than seeing the fruit of the spirit as an outflow of the gifts of the spirit. Mm-hmm. What if we reverse that? Would that change our view of it? Would that change the, how we operate, how we, how we, uh, you know, relate to one another? Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think super practically also, I think if we value people over product more, if we, if we actually care more about in the individuals that God has placed in front of us, their development, our relationship yeah. with them, if we were more humble, actually cared about, again, our own internal work, um, rather than what looks great externally, um, I think we're going to find a lot better fruit because you can be really gifted. Um, but if you don't have good character, things come crashing down, right? And we've talked about that before. Um, and your your people can be really gifted, but if you just work them and burn them out, um, that's not going to produce a lot of fruit. So uh, I think I think really, really practically, we have to think individuals as far more valuable than what they can do for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to also remember that the the gifts in this of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit comes from the same tree of life. <laughs> and so if we're seeing one of those branches and we don't see the other, there's something off in our relationship with mm-hmm. the Lord. There's something that's not connecting somewhere 
in our relationship with Jesus. And, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe that's in the character. Maybe we're just not accountable. Maybe we're not, uh, you know, um, maybe we're, we're not, there's something in our lives, in our secret lives that are not aligning, but it's, it's interesting because the gifts of the spirit can really cover a lot. And yet mm -hmm. even the word says that our gifts are without repentance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And so I think that's why we see sometimes, you know, you, you were talking uh, in, in the in the last episode, Sarah, about, you know, some big names have fallen from grace. It's like, well, that, that's how that happens. Their gifts can carry them a long ways, but but the where's the fruit of the Spirit? So it's actually just, you know, I've always said the fruit of the Spirit is is not a set of rules. The fruit of the Spirit is a set of benchmarks. Mm -hmm. If it, it tells you how closely you're walking with the Lord, if if I have if I'm close with Jesus, then His character and His nature are going to be manifesting from my life, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. And so I I think that I really liked what Mark said about that because I think it's mm -hmm. so important that we put a, a higher value on the fruits of the spirit because, and, and see it as an indicator. If we're not seeing the fruits of the spirit, then it's an indicator that there's something uh, disaligned in the relationship with the Lord. And so as leaders, let's love the people and care about them. As Sarah said enough to ask them those questions and say, Hey, how, how are you doing with Jesus right now? How, you know, how's your relationship with him? Because usually when I see the gifts of the Spirit being operated, um, the assumption is, is that they're, oh man, they're really on fire with God. Mm -hmm. But when we see fruits of the Spirit operated, I, I barely ever hear somebody say, oh man, they're on fire for God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it's, very, yeah. it's very interesting, right? Because in that list of, of what fruit looks like, right? and the fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't say... Um, uh, your efficacy in ministry. It doesn't say how much money you can raise. It doesn't say how much of a crowd can you gather? How successful are you? It doesn't say any of those things when it talks about the fruit of the spirit. And if we're called to assess things by their fruit, I think we need to make sure we're looking at the right fruit. We don't want the poisoned apple, right? We want the good fruit. And the good fruit is all kinds of things that have nothing to do with how bright and shiny um, yeah. your ministry or your, or your giftings or your skills are. And they all come from the tree of life, not the tree of knowledge. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say the tree of knowledge has both good and evil, right? So there's lots of good giftings, lots of good things that are in the tree of knowledge, but they still don't bring life. So mm -hmm. the fruit of the spirit is from the tree of life. It has, to, then it brings the life of Christ to the people. So now we can go back to what you guys tried to start earlier, earlier. <laughs> Uh, what, what, if, what, if? what if we made a B church that was actually based around a theatrical uh, expression of the gospel and not necessarily a sermon and a song uh, based uh, expression of the gospel? What if we actually put together some stuff where we did, um, have you ever seen the uh, improv all the time uh, or improv everywhere? I can't remember what it's called. Um, where they they will randomly do plays in the park with like tons of people and there'll be tons of uh, of uh, uh, resources that go into it or, or planning and prep and they'll just randomly have some big scene happen downtown and then they're gone and then they disappear or they'll have um yeah they're usually absurd and funny but it'd be amazing to have a group of christians who are doing this sort of stuff just just doing some uh, uh guerrilla theatrics uh in the in the city and and showing off what uh what we can do 
or doing uh, higher grade uh, things more like Church of the Rock, where we're doing actual presentations of biblical stories or biblical themes and uh, and and seeing them through the community. Wow. What do, guys, what do you guys think of that idea? I love it. Whose line is it anyway is one of Sandy's in my favorite show. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, what if, what if the art was recovered for the church mm-hmm. as it was once set out to do? What if the arts were used to bring the message and hope of Christ in a relevant, funny, incredible way? What if a group of people decided that that's where their energy should go rather than in a traditional, typical type church? Is it any less a church if it's a theater group as it is a, as, as it is a Pentecostal church? Mm-hmm. I... I don't know if you guys have ever done any like long-term theater, but when you are doing a play with a group of people and you are practicing together, you're, you know, you're rehearsing and you're reading lines and, uh, and you're hanging out over pizza during your break and someone goes to get the donuts and there are these conversations that go on. There is an intimacy, uh, in a, in a troop. That is different than I think most other working environments. Man, what if there was people working shoulder to shoulder together to put on something that was fun and introduce the gospel to those that didn't know? But but what if those people really developed a sense of deep community? Like I, I'm telling you, some of the conversations I've had backstage are some of the most incredible of my whole life. Some of my oldest friends. Uh, became my friends because we were in a play together and you just bond in those scenarios. So what if people had fun, like really good fun doing ministry together and they were failing together and they were laughing at themselves with each other um, and they were experiencing success with each other. Man, that'd be, that'd be cool to be part of that. So what if this kind of church existed? Would you join in? If this was getting started in your neighborhood, would you help lead it? If there were a handful of others who were hoping to find a new way of doing church, wouldn't you want to at least meet them? We are always looking for people who are interested in starting new creative expressions of church community. That is what the Bee Church Network is. We are an incubator for experimental forms of church. If these ideas resonate with you, you can respond by doing the normal things like reviewing the podcast and sharing it with your friends. But more than that, if you are ready to pull up your socks and find new ways of being the church, we would love to help you. You can send us an email at thebeechurch at gmail.com or visit us online at www.bechurchnetwork.com. There you can find links to the podcast, the blog, and more. The Bee Church Network is a member of the ACOP family of churches and finds its home in the center of the Okanagan in beautiful Corona, BC.